Welcome to the Who's Trending Who podcast with Allie and Tom, episode 8. This podcast is all about animals. We talk training, behavior, and about people doing cool things with and or for animals. We hope that by listening to this podcast, we can help you have a better relationship with your pet or any pet you meet. On today's episode, we talk with Don and Cheryl Fesh, founders of Molly Coddle, and in our Ask a Trainer segment, Ellie explains what to do when you encounter an off-leash dog while on a walk. So let's get started. Welcome to the show, Don and Cheryl. Well, thanks. Great to be here. Let's talk about what is Molly Coddle. So in the simplest terms, Molly Coddle is an app that connects veterinarians with pet owners to do in-home veterinary care. Kind of think of it as Uber for veterinarians, but unlike Uber, the veterinarians actually set their own rates. So let's talk about your background first. So let us know where did you guys come from and how did you get to Molly Coddle? So uh, I spent about 15 years working in the IT field. Um, and right now I'm working for a large healthcare company. Um, but in my spare time, what I like to do is try to find ways to change how veterinary care is provided. And my background, I'm a former healthcare executive turned entrepreneur and author. Uh, I also like to spend time finding ways to provide care for pets in need. Who was the first one that thought of this idea and what got you to actually come up with the idea for Molly Coddle? Well, I I think we came to the same conclusion. Um, We had a kitty cat with a heart condition and she hated everything about going to the veterinarian, everything from uh, getting into the crate, doing the car ride, you know, getting to the vet, and then the actual, um, you know, uh, vet visit. Uh, she, you know, by the time she got home, she wouldn't speak to us for two days. So we knew we had to change something. I hear that about cats a lot. I mean, dogs do it too, but I hear that especially about cats. They hate like leaving their homes and and all that stuff. Well, what's interesting is we 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 thought it was a cat thing too, and then we discovered, you know, friends with dogs. Uh, we have one friend with a very elderly, um, big lab, 100-pound lab. She couldn't get into the car, and it can't climb into the car on its own. It was difficult to take it to the vet, so they needed another alternative. Um, another friend has a, a Great Dane. It's a puppy and hasn't met anyone that doesn't think it's a toy. And, you know, taking that dog to the vet is really a challenge. So, um, you know, bringing a different um, or an alternative solution was important. So I heard you say mobile veterinarians. Is that the main focus of this app, or can any, or is this part? Can any vet join this, or can anybody find any kind of vet, brick and mortar, or whatever kind of vets are out there? Sure. I mean, obviously, you know, it works great for a mobile vet. What's interesting is if you look up mobile vets and you try to get on their calendar, you can't because they are so in demand, which kind of validates what we're doing here. Uh, so th- there's a demand and there's not enough supply on this. And one of the things we think is interesting is, you know, our our pet needed special kidney food. And I used to go pick that food up on Wednesdays at the veterinarian. And it was a ghost town in there because I would go down at three o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon. And there's no one in the clinic. And I and there's about 300 houses behind this clinic. And I thought, well, heck, you know, you got all kind of capacity and you can go provide services to people that aren't otherwise taking their pet to the veterinarian, generate revenue and potentially get a new client on top of it. So mobile would be wonderful, but it's not just for mobile vets. 
So living in the city, I've never even heard of a mobile vet being uh, something around me, even though I hear, you know, people talk about, at least in like uh, Facebook groups who say, does anybody know a vet that'll come to your house that'll help put the dog to sleep? That's really the most common question I see. Not that it's like every day someone asks that, but it's a common question where people are wondering, but in the city, I've never heard, I've always thought of it more as like a, a rural area type thing where you have to drive, you know, a hundred miles to get to anything, you know, and I'm probably showing my ignorance to, to rural areas. But, um, so who is, who is your ideal audience for, for using Molly Coddle? Well, maybe we can both talk to this one a little bit. I, I certainly, it's not just for rural. Um, you know, I, I talked about our, our kitty cat and when it was time to say goodbye, the last thing I was going to do for her was make her do something she hated. Right. So obviously we had someone come to the house and, and we did it in a loving environment. And it was, it was a beautiful thing as, you know, as much as that can be, but it, you know, we want to change the di- dynamic you just described in this city. Um, you know, we think that, you know, the world is changing and veterinary care needs to change with it and bringing people to, you know, an apartment complex or city dwellers needs to be more commonplace. You know, I think of, you know, my mother, she's, you know, she's in her eighties, two dogs, two cats and a bird, you know, it's, it's a zoo over there. And let me tell you what my mom isn't doing. She's not putting a dog in the car and going to the vet and coming home, putting another dog in the car, going to the vet, coming home, cat vet home, cat vet home, bird vet home. It's not going to happen. But guess what? If a vet would come to her house, they would get five appointments in one setting by seeing my mom. Now, the retirement community my mother lives in has 1,000 residents. So there is just huge opportunity here from a revenue perspective for vets that are in it for the money. For vets that are in it because of care, there's a huge need. It's not that my mom doesn't want to provide care to those animals, but she's 80. It's difficult for her to take those animals to the veterinarian, you know, unless it's an emergency. So why do you think more vets haven't jumped on this on this especially in the city. I mean, it seems like there's a demand in the city. Why is it? Ju- why haven't vets jumped on being more mobile or at least offering that as part of their service? They still have their brick and mortar, but then they have like a mobile division that can go to people's homes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a great question. Um, I, I think part of it is just the, you know, the mindset of the traditional veterinary practice um, and really kind of breaking out from you know, from that mindset, um, you know, is one of one of the big things. Um, you know, it does take some, you know, some coordination, uh, you know, to to be able to do that. But that's part of what we wanted to, you know, to try to offer with the app was, you know, a tool so that people could find them if they were willing to offer those services. The other thing is, in the vets we've talked to, you know, they they. They live behind the secret wall at the veterinarian clinic right. and they come in one door, go back out, come in another door, go back out. You know, it's 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there. And, you know, within the app, we actually allow, I think, close to two hours for travel and the appointment and everything. And, you know, I just don't think they can see, you know, how they can make that time work. And our suggestion isn't, you know, don't do this full time. We're not suggesting that you become a full time user of the app, but we're saying, when you have capacity, it may make sense to take an extra appointment. When, when you have a new vet on staff that has tremendous debt and student loan debt, and they have a lot of debt, 
you know, don't make them sign a really tough NDA or non-compete. Allow them to go out on their day off and do a single appointment. So, for example, if I'm a new vet, I have a day off. I go out and take one appointment a week on my day off. I spend an hour at someone's house. Let's say I charge $100. It's a premium service. That's $5,200 at the end of the year. If you're like my mom, they made $500 because there's five pets at the house. But my point is, if they take two visits, they can make $10,000 you know, a year to either invest or pay down their debt. Here's the real benefit, though. So they make some extra money. That's great. If the pets they see need additional care, where do you think they're going to go? They're going to go and visit that veterinarian where that person practices. And by the way, if, if a person's having you come to their house to see their pet, they're probably not taking their pet to the vet anyway, which means you're not cannibalizing existing business. So this is all net new revenue, which is a win-win. And by the way, the biggest win is the pet is now getting care from a licensed veterinarian, which is awesome. You know, you would think that, that you know, and I know we've had discussions before with, especially in the last episode, when we talked about compassion fatigue, that a lot of vets are not business people. They go into the, I mean, some are about money. Some are actually about caring for the dog. And, you know, I make that sound really bad, but you know, they, they're, they're people who they folk, they, they just want to be a vet. They don't care about the business side. They're not good at it, you know, but this just makes sense when you talk about it that way, where it expands the practice. Cause not like a mobile vet's going to have an x-ray machine or an MRI machine or, you know, can clean. I mean, maybe they can clean teeth mobily, but I mean, there's a, I guess there's a point where you can't necessarily do a lot of stuff where, you do have to send them back. So being in the in the dog industry, I understand vets have their own set of criteria for things. Pet parents have obviously their own set set of criteria things. Some a lot of the times they don't meet up and you know we have expectations on either side that aren't realistic. So I assume creating an app for both sides was actually pretty probably pretty hard. Yeah, so I mean there's definitely challenges there. Uh, we we did have the benefit of you know, us being pet parents, um, kind of having that viewpoint of it, as well as getting, you know, the viewpoint of, you know, friends and, and neighbors and things and, you know, how they would want to interact. Um, but at the same time, then we, we also leveraged uh, a veterinary friend to help us with the veterinary perspective as well. Uh, so, yes, it's, you know, it's definitely challenging to to build an app that, um, you know, that meets the needs of, of both sides. Um, but we tried to leverage resources from both sides to help us, you know, build something that that we think works for, you know, for everybody. You know, to add on to that, the, the only downside is the friend, the veterinary friend we had. Well, they already got it. They totally got it. <laughs> so, right. you know, they don't all totally get it yet. And, you know, we jokingly say we have chickens and eggs, you know, and I don't know if the vets are the chickens or the eggs, but we have the pet parents or let's say they're chickens and the other ones are eggs. So we, we chose the hardest thing in the world to do. You know, we're not going to educate one side of the equation. We have to educate both. Right. So when we talk to the pet parents, they want to know how many vets are doing it. We talk to the vets, they want to know how many clients they potentially have, which makes that, you know, the reason we're still close to being in startup mode because we're really trying to do a lot of education at this point. And as a small business, you know, it's the, the marketing budgets are very low. Right. So we, we, you know, rely on organic word of mouth and trying to, you know, focus in small areas. 
So it's been tough. I'm not going to say it wasn't, um, but at the same time, it's the right thing to do. And that's why we do it. Right. And I think there's more of a demand as, as especially in this podcast, we've learned about reactive dogs, about dogs that have issues and what you need to do to counter condition, going to the vet, getting in the car, seeing the vet, you know, working about working on muzzle training. And, you know, I think there is a market for it. I think it just, people just don't, you know, it's not, it's kind of like, you know, doing positive training. It's not always what people know. Growing up, people used aversive methods. You know, they choked the dog. They, you know, whatever other aversive method they wanted to use. And it's just starting to get education going for people. And that's, you know, kind of like what it sounds like you guys have to do. You have to educate people like, hey, there, there's a new way. This is 2020. We can, you know, we can do things a little differently and you still have money coming in. You know, I think that's like a lot of people don't always think about the money side. Yeah, it's two hours there. But like you said, you could but that they might need x-rays. They might need to get blood drawn. They, you know, there's blood charging for the blood draw and you know, all this stuff where you're right. You might not have that person come in. Cause like your, like your mom, I don't want to, you know, and sometimes it's tough for me even to take my two dogs and I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a dude who's in his you know thirties who could, you know, I could handle it, but it's a pain in the butt sometimes. Cause they're reactive. They're scared. They're, you know, it's a, it, it's, it's frustrating, you know, and it's like, sometimes we want to go to the vet and then you're charged a lot to go to the vet and you're like, oh, I did all this work. And then I'm, you know, charged a lot to go there where, you know, maybe some of the the pain of the, of the, the pocketbook would be like, well, at least I didn't have to go somewhere. You know, I'm paying more because they're coming to my house. I understand that they're spending their time, gas, uh, everything like that. So I've never created an app. How long did this take from your idea to actually making it happen and having a workable version? Well, Tom, it, it never stops. <laughs> so you're still still creating, still updating. Yeah, we're as we speak, it's being updated and enhanced. You know, our our good friends at Apple and Google um, like to change things all the time, which means right. we have to change things all the time. Um, you know, we have to keep security at a high level, obviously, and payments security has to be at a high level. And uh, you know, the dynamics of those industries change all the time, so we have to change with it. You know, and whatever you think it's going to cost to build an app, um, I'd say double it. Right, right. <laughs> if not more. Uh, so there, there, but, you know, both of us came from a little bit of a IT and software background. So we were comfortable in the space. So we knew e- even with that as our background, it was really kind of tough. Right. And, you know, it was just a little game or something. It's one thing, but really making it to be, um, you know, a two-sided app that connects both the the vet along with the client and all that interaction uh, it was challenging so then how did you go about finding veterinarians and pet parents to when you first started and maybe even still now how do you go about finding people to get the word out there and get them to 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 buy into what you're offering well so what we're doing right now doesn't hurt <laughs> right um, so organically, as, as we can get, uh, you know, dog lovers interested and right. you know, there, there's a, a little bit of a pull to it. So as, as clients start wanting it, you know, vets are going to have to open their eyes to it. Um, now we have, you know, we, we did some traditional things. So we've gone to some conferences. So the AVMA conference, you know, and we, we've done uh, the TVMA conference here in Texas. We've actually gone to two veterinary schools. And we presented the concept to the students there. The challenge for them is when they get a job, when they come out of college with usually with heavy, the heavy burden of debt, you know, um, they have to sign a non-compete because, and and that's an old holdover from old thinking. We believe, you know, with this new thinking, 
when you have capacity, you don't have to send everybody into the field, but one of these new vets may want an opportunity to make some extra money. And by the way, generate, you know, I talked earlier about generating potentially a new client. Right. So, you know, we, we, the, the, the vet side, you know, we can go out and knock on some doors, but you know, we're nationwide. We want to be everywhere. We don't want to limit it. So we try to go to the more traditional places where they go. So the conferences on the pet parents side, it's really been organic word of mouth kind of, you know, social media posts, uh, website, some Twitter and Instagram, those kind of things. Uh, and we're surprised some of that, it doesn't even matter. Some people just find us through the app store. They, they look for uh, in-home vet or mobile vet and our app comes up. Um, so, but sometimes it comes up and we don't have a vet in that area and they get frustrated. So they leave or a vet is interested, but we don't have people in that area. So, you know, we don't know what it's going to take to get to that minimum number where everyone starts talking about it, but we're, we're patient. <laughs> so being that you're an app, uh, I'm going to compare it to like Rover or WAG who, you know, if you have dog walkers who are doing okay before those app came out, all of a sudden there were so many people with Rover and WAG dog walkers that the rates started coming down. And if you did charge a little more, you were kind of a premium service. And you mentioned that you guys are a premium service. If a pet parent looks on the app and like, for your example, like, whoa, that's $100 when you go to the vet, it's only, for example, $50. How do you get over, how do veterinarians get over, or even pet parents, how do they get over what they're paying for? You know, because it's it's always tough because people have called me when I do walking and they're like, what's your price? I'm like, it's this. And then like, well, I get this person for this much. And I'm like, well, I have a lot more experience than the person you're hiring. Sure. Is that is that kind of the same thing that vets and pet parents and that's maybe that part of the education of the of of the app is that you know of what what a premium service is? Yeah, I mean that's definitely part of it, and I think each vet has to understand their community and what that community is willing to pay. So when we've been at conferences, for example, and we've talked to rural vets, I'll use the hundred dollar example, and they'll laugh and say, "I can never charge that." I mean, my people wouldn't pay over, you know. $49. Right. I said, well, that's, that's your decision. And, you know, unlike, you know, an Uber or Lyft or something that the company is setting those rates, we allow the vet to really set their rate. And, you know, if it's not worth their time, we may have a vet where we live, you know, every dog up here has their own house and it's air conditioned and everything else. Right. You know? right. People probably pay a thousand dollars to have someone come to the, you know, take care of their dog, you know, we want to, we don't have that kind of money, but, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, but there are people that pamper their dogs that way. So they could, they could charge that. The other thing we've learned is a lot of vets undervalue their service. They think they have to be a discount, you know, provider. And the reality is if you put your rate out there, you know, no one has to click on it. You know, people can say, well, that's too much and I don't want to do it. And that's fine. And they can either lower their rate and get some you know, additional services or additional clients, or they can just determine that it's just not worth their time. Now, clients, on the other hand, may help the vet identify what that rate is. Our suggestion to the vet is I would start higher and come down because it's always easy to lower your cost. Right. And it is to start out at, you know, $30 and then try to get it to 75. Um, but, you know, look, someone coming to your house to do something for you is absolutely going to cost more than you going to them. And people should expect that. And part of what we do is we try to educate both the vet that they should charge it as a premium service to make it worth their time and the client to understand they may have to pay a little more to have a veterinarian come to their house. How do you stop like a bad vet 
uh, you know, quote, bad vet from joining or someone who is who really doesn't, you know, care about the dog, you know, just, just like dog walkers, you know, Wagon Rover, Rover have many numerous stories about bad walkers and, you know, bad people who join. And so how do you stop something like that? And I mean, it might be kind of hard to, to do that, but what, what do you have to set up to try to do that? Yeah. So part of the vetting, no, no pun intended here. Part of the right. vetting process for a veterinarian is to provide their license. Okay. And it, it's um, pretty simple to look the license up online. So anyone using that vet, obviously they want to do a quick review of how that, that, that vet's history. We also do that. I do it behind the scenes, for example, if we get a new sign up. And we did have one instance where there was a vet that had been, I forget what the exact term was, but they were on probation, if you will. And, you know, we didn't let them on because that's our brand and our image too. And we only want to be associated with the best providers out there. Um, and if that person comes off probation and they met their state's criteria uh, for being back in good standing, we would welcome them back aboard. I think that's that's a good marketing point too, is that you can trust the vets that are that you're on there. You're not just letting anybody just because they pass a background check, you know, joins and and can be like, hey, I'm a vet. I'm gonna come to your house and do all this stuff. Do you have any other future plans for Molly Cuddle or any other uh, plans for another app in the animal industry? As uh, as I find out, the animal industry is a tough industry to be in. As much as people are like, wow, it's a zillion dollar industry, it's still tough to be in it because pe- pet parents are picky, vets are picky. It's it's a tough thing. Well, you know, right now, so think of it this way, and this may be a terrible analogy, but, you know, if you go to... I don't know, msn.com, and they have stuff all over the page, and you can look at news or finance or automobiles, whatever, that's fine. Or you can go to Google, and you can do one thing, you can search. Right now, we're Google. We want to do one thing really well, and we want to get, you know, the word out, and we want to, you know, we're trying to change an industry here. So, once we do that, and if we get enough goodwill built up from that and, and name recognition, there are some other things we would love to do with the app. I mean, if, look, you don't get into this to make any money. We're doing this because it's the right thing to do, and we're passionate about animals. And, you know, I can see a day if we're super profitable, where we start providing care for animals, you know, and families that can't afford it and those kind of things. I would love to get to that point. Uh, we're not there yet. But that's what I would see the next evolution of is helping those that need, you know, help but can't afford it. Right. I mean, that sounds awesome because that's I mean, I see that in the in the Facebook, you know, group pages where people are looking for low cost, whether it's a vet for spay neuter shots. And I know there's organizations out there that offer that, but it'd be awesome if they could all, you know, whether it's through an app or something. I mean, especially 2020 and the young people coming up. I mean, who? Those, I mean, that generation doesn't even know, doesn't know a world without apps, I don't think. I mean, it just seems so, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not even that old. I had the first iPhone that came out, but like, I can't, I still can't remember what I did before an iPhone. Like, it's just like, I ne- I mean, it's, it's scary to think that was like 20 years ago, but I think, right? Yeah, that was like, no, 10 years ago. 2007, I think. Was yeah, yeah, iPhone. yeah, yeah. So 10 years ago. But I still like, I don't remember what, like, how did I, how did we survive without a phone in our hands and, and everything like that? Um, so you guys have anything else you want to talk about or anything lasting words about Molly Cottle? And so our, our, you know, you asked earlier who, who our audience was, and at least on the vet side, part of our audience and part of our 
you know, mission is helping independent family owned and community based veterinarians compete, you know, grow and most importantly provide care for pets in need. And we're not against big corporate veterinary organizations, but we also know the local community based vet, you know, it's important to still have them. And, you know, I think our app really fits their needs much more than a big, you know, corporate uh, entity. If you know of any, anyone knows of any veterinarians or any people that are interested in this approach to veterinary care, um, you know, they can go to homevetvisit.com. That's our website. And there's a contact us uh, form there. Um, We also have a Facebook presence and they can get in touch with us there. And we'd be happy to work with anyone that uh, wants to work with us. Moving on to the Ask Your Trainer segment, for which I don't think we've had one in in a little bit for the last couple episodes. So kind of excited to come back or get some advice from Allie. So this was a this was a listener question, and it's something that I think I've seen pick up a lot during the pandemic. Which I don't think I saw it. Maybe I just didn't walk my dogs as much before. But there's a lot of neighbors in every neighborhood that seem to think their dogs are fantastic off leash and let them, you know, roam the yard. And, you know, probably 99% of the time it's great, except when I come by and I have reactive dogs, as a lot of people do when walking. And these dogs start coming at you. And it's one of those things I always feared while dog walking. And it's happened a couple of times where dogs off leash are come out of nowhere and you're like, Oh, what do I do? And you know, like you're, you're just, you start doing things there. So what, Allie, what can, what are some of the steps if you are walking your dog who's on leash and you encounter a dog that's off leash, whether it's a family pet or just a random, maybe just feral dog that's just walking around depending on where you are. So as a professional, let me tell you, I am not any, not necessarily any more prepared than your average dog walker because every situation is going to be different. The first thing that goes through my head when I see an off-leash dog is, oh shit. (laughs) And the second thing that goes through my head is, how do I get out of this? First, I begin with, okay, do I have enough time to walk away, run away? Is the dog that I'm walking reactive and going to be pulling back at the dog that I am trying to get away from. Um, Can I pick the dog that I'm walking up? Am I going to get bit by the dog that I'm walking if I pick it up? How big is the dog that I'm walking? How far can I carry it and how fast can I run? Uh, So all these things are are, going through my head at the same time. The next thing that I do is hope that both dogs are friendly and if I kind of relax, it'll be okay. Um, That is if I have no option to get out of the situation. So how do you show that you're relaxed to another dog? If like, you know, if you're already feeling tense, is there a way that you can stand or is it just a feel? Is it? I literally try to take a deep breath and say, okay, this is going to go how it's going to go. There's nowhere that I can run at this point. Breathe because I know the dog that I'm with is friendly And I'm also watching the dog approaching and I'm like, okay, well, it doesn't look like that dog that is approaching necessarily wants to attack this dog. So then I'm like, okay, maybe this dog's friendly and I could just take a big deep breath. And if I'm relaxed, the dog that, you know, is getting approached is going to relax 
a little bit more. Obviously, you know, that's last line of defense. Should you ever like scream? Should you ever say anything? Or should you just be quiet and just say nothing to not to not make the situation more tense than it is? Because I know sometimes when if people speak, or like, um, like daycare settings, when you know, attendants start screaming, it can sometimes intensify the feelings the two dogs are having towards each other, because now the human is screaming, and that's adding to you know, that the craziness that's already, they're already feeling. Yeah. I would generally say as a, as a whole, um, that if you're screaming and freaking out and trying to make loud noises, most likely that would either start a fight or intensify a fight that is happening with your off leash dogs. You know, you, you have some friendly ones that are going to approach and everything's going to be okay. As long as you're walking a friendly dog and, and, you know, all body language looks good to everybody. You do have those dogs that are coming to attack you and or your dog right in a situation where you have a dog that wants to attack you or your dog there's really not a whole lot that can be done um other than trying to run trying to shield your dog you know unfortunately there's no necessarily good answer for this question there's going to be you know okay if you have something that you can hide behind go do that if you can you know, hook your dog to a tree with their leash and shield them with your body. Right. Do that at your own risk. There is, okay, can we scatter feed a ton of treats and that'll distract the dog enough to walk away. But if that dog is coming at your dog with the intent of, you know, wanting to attack or the intent of wanting to play, you know, right away, they're not necessarily going to see those treats. And you don't know if that dog that maybe is coming to play with your dog is going to guard those treats or if your dog is going to guard those treats that you've now thrown all over the ground. Right. Like you said, there, there is no good answer to this question. Um, if you are in a place that has a lot of off-leash dogs running up to your dog or a lot of off-leash dogs in general, I would carry an emergency kit. Carrying an umbrella can be helpful because you can open that umbrella and stand between the two dogs with it. And sometimes it'll scare that dog off as soon as you open the umbrella. Um, If you are going to use this, I would either have created distance with my own dog in some way or another, or I would counter condition my dog to the opening of the umbrella. So it doesn't freak them out as well. Um, That's an interesting point because you never really would have thought, you know, I mean, you're trying to defend, but you opening up the umbrella in front of your dog could be a scary thing, which intensifies the situation already. Yeah, you know, like yeah. it's really crazy, you know, and I know, and I know when I walk, when I do dog walks, I have an air horn with me just to, it's not even like really to scare the other dog. It's just to maybe make the dog pause for a second to give me that extra second to figure out what to do. You know, maybe hopefully yeah. it will scare the dog away, but I also have a flashlight at like night that I, that is really bright. And then also really pulsates really irritatingly. If you ever look at it, it really is irritating to look at, but hopefully it can blind the dog to give you that extra second. It's nothing that's going to stop anything per se. It just gives you that extra second to get away, to flee, to do what you need to do. Yeah. And I mean, people carry like the pet corrector spray or the spray shield or, you know, mace or whatever it is, which, you know, again, can work in some instances, but a dog that is kind of in that super aroused state might not even care that it just got sprayed. Um, Plus if you've got any kind of wind, you're looking at potentially spraying yourself or your dog. Right. Full honesty in this, you know, situation, 
it, unfortunately, there is not just one foolproof way of defending right. yourself from off-leash dogs. I mean, like you, like you can carry a, a bite stick, you can carry a pig board if you really want. But I mean, now you're like having to have like a backpack full of stuff just to try to combat something that's going on. And, you know, in the end, it, you know, especially with dog walking, I'm very, um, you know, uh, I'm hyper-focused on what's around me. I'm listening for, if I hear another dog, if I hear something, I'm just very, and, you know, think surprises happen and you do what you got to do to, to do what it is. And there's a lot of times where I've said, Oh shit, really loud. When I've seen dogs come out of nowhere, you know, who are off leash and you just kind of turn around and you hope that, you know, there's enough distance that you already started enough distance that the dog isn't gonna, isn't gonna come at you for that. But, you know, I think in the end, you just have to be hyper vigilant about, you know, what's, what's around you. And, you know, especially if you walk the same neighborhood, you know, what house is what, and you just kind of avoid it, or you just know that, you know, you're, you're taking your risk if you're going to go by the house, you know, to do it. Yeah. And I mean, if I see an off-leash dog somewhere, I avoid it. Right. I don't care if that owner has their dog completely under control. Um, I'm just not going to put a dog in that situation. And I'm just going to calmly turn the other way. I'm not going to make a big skeptical of it. And I'm just going to go elsewhere. Now, you know, in those situations, avoidance is going to be, you know, your best best option, but we don't always get that option, unfortunately. So yes, be prepared with your little toolkit as much as possible, but also realize that there are implications to using some of the tools in your toolkit. Um, you know, for, for me personally, sometimes you're walking a bigger dog that you're like, (laughs) okay, is it better to just let you kind of defend yourself like, right. Or not. Right. (laughs) But then at the same time, like, so for example, with chunk, like if an off leash dog approaches chunk, she's going to bite first and ask questions later, no (laughs) matter how friendly that dog is. Um, so with her, I pick the choice of picking her up and running with her or holding her and turning my back to that dog as much as possible. But at the same time, if that dog is then going to start mauling me, is Chunk a better line of defense for, for me to not die? <laughs> but, right, right. You know, uh, do I do I hope that she can defend me or do I, you know, continue to get mauled? I mean, there's just, there's no good answer to off-leash dogs. I mean, the more education that you have in body language, so if you know you have a friendly dog and you see that that dog, you know, looks friendly and is approaching in a friendly, I want to play with your dog manner, you know, in that situation, the best thing is take a deep breath and let your dog, you know, let, let your dog approach them. I've seen, you know, owners that know that their dog is friendly, just kind of drop the leash because they know that, you know, the leash can cause tension or their dog doesn't do well with on leash greeting. So it's just, you know, drop the leash and let them greet. I mean, I have had off leash dogs approach a lot of different client dogs. Um, and you know, if it's a smaller dog, I generally pick it up because I don't want that dog to get attacked by another dog. Uh, especially if it's a young puppy, I don't want that poor puppy to be molded by this situation. Your, your defenses are, you know, the sprays, the umbrella, um, possibly a, a can of rocks or pennies or whatever, right? The air horn, brake sticks, um, the umbrella, yeah. I mean, you just, know, it's just how much stuff do you want to carry with you to, to worry about it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, and, there's no good answer. Keep your dogs on leash. Right. <laughs> uh, your dog can't be off leash. 
right or it doesn't have a good recall even though we, yeah. we we all know people think more people than they should think their dogs are way better at recall than they really are yeah. especially yeah. when they have that <laughs> temptation of another dog coming not good and yeah. we should note just because of a yard has like has the signs that say electric fence that there that does not mean in that situation that that the dog on the other side isn't going to just break through that electric fence because your dog is so enticing to go get that they're going to just going to they're not going to care they're getting shocked they're just going to run through it and because you know that drive is just so strong to go there so you always have to be just on alert and just you know you're preparing for the worst and you're just you know there's like you said there's only so much you you, you can do there's no like magic trick to distract cuz every dog depending on how driven they are for what they're doing, you know, is going to, you know, there's just really nothing you can do. Yeah. Be as prepared as possible for the worst and hope for the best. You know, the best line of defense is you yourself to not be an asshole and to keep your dog on leash unless you are a at an off leash environment and B your dog is qualified for an off leash environment. Thank you for joining us. And thanks to Don and Cheryl for talking about Molly Cottle. I have included information about how to reach Don and Cheryl in the show notes if you have any further questions. If you have any questions about what Allie said for meeting a dog off-leash, you can email Allie or myself or post in our Facebook group. If you are enjoying what you are hearing and haven't yet, please subscribe, comment, rate our podcast on whatever platform you are listening to us on. Also, please share our podcast on social media. You can also join our Facebook group at Who's Training Who to chat about this topic or anything really about animals. You can also share funny or cool things dealing with animals. If you have a topic idea or an ask a trainer question, please comment in our Facebook group or email info at waggytails.pet. Thanks for listening to Who's Training Who. Who's Training Who?